Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim, and welcome to the Backstage Show. This week on the Backstage Show, we're going to sort of go back to the well, as it were, back to stuff we talked about in season one, specifically yes. the audition process. We have a couple sure. new perspectives to present related to auditions, and those are monologues and scene partners. Ooh. I'm, I'm starting to wonder, backing up a little bit, should we be even saying this week on the backstage show anymore? This time. We, yeah. We keep introing it the same way, I guess, out of habit, but it's, uh, yeah, we haven't really been weekly lately. Uh, so Far yeah. from it. <laughs> yeah. This time on the backstage show. Yeah. So, so we have- In this exciting, riveting episode. <laughs> same backstage time, same backstage <laughs> channel. So we have- <laughs> We have indeed talked about auditions before. That was probably like fairly early on, right? Like I said, I'm, I'm season like one. Back here, easily season one, probably within the first ten episodes. Go back. So I and guess look it's it about up. time to look at it again. Yeah, of we course. actually looked at auditions and casting in a four-part episode, uh, episodes five through eight, which might have been three episodes too many, but whatever. <laughs> I'm not judging. <laughs> well, let's see. We looked at preparation from the actor's perspective. That was episode five. Episode six, we looked at the casting process from the actor's perspective. And then in episode seven and eight, we looked at the same items from the director's perspective, preparation and casting. So, so what, it was really a general overview. So what in the world could we possibly have more to talk about this topic? Well, <laughs> there's a lot of specifics about auditions that we haven't talked about yet. You mentioned monologues. Yes. So monologues are certainly not a part of every audition, but there are several times that you will be required either to prepare a monologue or you might be given a monologue at the audition itself. Ooh. And Ouch. there's, yeah, <laughs> that, that can be a little daunting. There are like, there's like a few different types of monologue that can be looked at. It's kind of like if you find something that is complete within a play, like you might have a speech that goes on for a page or more and you can just pull that single speech. The other way you can piece together a monologue from a play is if it's something that just gets interrupted by a line or two right? that can either be integrated into the monologue as a whole or just pulled out. I've sort of managed to construct monologues more or less from individual snippets of dialogue that, like you described, have yeah. maybe somebody reacting to it with a sentence or two or maybe a few words in between. But you could easily strip that part out and turn it into a monolo a de facto monologue. Mm -hmm. I've put together sides that I've prepared. This is as a director. I've prepared sides for the auditions, which were sort of monologue-ish. In nature, right. if I can coin a phrase, uh, where you're trying to get the crux of what you're looking for from one particular character. Yeah. So yeah, I've done that as well, and we can kind of talk about that a little bit later when we delve into personal stories. I, I think it's difficult to find too many different monologues that can be just lifted 
wholesale from a script because yeah, there are certainly a bunch that, that have speeches that might go on for a page or two, but it feels like it was a little more common in say Shakespeare, that sort of thing it's where it's hard long to enough find. to really have an impact. Yeah. So I think the clippings are probably a little bit more common and, and certainly acceptable as a monologue. As a director, I guess I have taken the vantage point that I want to really focus on seeing what the actor brings to the role as written. Yeah. Versus, Agreed. I guess, different directors have different ideas about this in terms of maybe they just want to see the actor's potential outside of the script. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, would be I mean, the main I, reason. I think it's kind of... It's kind of more in a, a can you act versus can you play this role sort of thing. I, I, I feel in some senses using a monologue in an audition is akin to a uh, vocal audition for a musical where usually right. you're required to sing something that's in the range of the character, but not a song from the show. That's a very good So it's analogy. kind of a similar sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. I agree with that. As it happens, the last audition that I had, and this was right before COVID hit, but this is the last audition I attended, I did have to prepare a monologue. So I chose one. Okay. I chose one that was sort of reflective of what the character's arc was within this particular play. But of course, Mm -hmm. what I chose as the monologue was not from this play. It was just one I found on the internet Okay. that was related and I, I guess they recommend that you memorize them. Right. Maybe it's not required, but I might have been required in this case, or at least that's what I did. Yeah, I, I don't think as far as needing to do a monologue for uh, shows I've auditioned for, I think the only time it's been required has been when I've auditioned for Shakespeare. Really? I don't think outside of that I've had to do any monologues. Well, my case was definitely not Shakespeare. I can tell you that much. But uh, it was kind of unexpected and unusual. But I guess that was the director's goal was just to... Because this was... The play was a particularly character-driven piece, and I think they wanted to really gauge a sense of maybe beyond the script what the actors could bring to it, I'm Mm -hmm. assuming. And that was the reason to ask for the monologue. So, yeah, it was a matter of, okay, you're rehearsing a monologue and presumably memorizing it. Usually, I guess that's what they look for. Right. But you have to prepare it. You have to think about how you pull it off, how you look doing it, whether you constitute blocking to go with it mm-hmm. to some degree. Uh, you're sort of self-directing in a way, which is yeah, a little I, I think unusual. You are. It, it is a little weird because, you know, you're you're – performing something for a director but you're preparing it all yourself going into it so i would think as a director that's not going to be any sort of gauge of whether that actor can take direction or not no not at all it it really is just a matter of performance and that's all you're going to be able to judge from that and i guess as a director it's not usually something i need to see I guess the point of it or a point of it would be, okay, what can somebody bring? How can, how well can somebody prepare for something that they have chosen themselves 
mm-hmm. that they have the opportunity to learn and memorize and embody right as sort of a indicate an indicator of where they could take the role as scripted in the production that you're auditioning for it certainly does take out of the equation your auditioning ability because the fact of the matter is there are some actors who audition better than others some just have trouble i mean you know if their vision isn't great they can't see the script that well they might not be able to read as quickly that way or it's just somebody who's just too nervous that way and this way they have time to work with the material on their own yeah come in with it memorized or nearly memorized and be able to deliver a performance that's more akin to what they can do in an actual production as opposed to and just an audition right it is the exact opposite of a cold read Right. In it's that a, respect. It's a hot read. <laughs> well, it's it's not even a read. It's it's yeah. a case where you have a piece fully prepared that they really want to see or try to gauge what your potential is. So Especially opposite if it's, of a cold read, that would be a, a hot memorization? It would be a hot mess. <laughs> a hot mess, yes. <laughs> well, no, it shouldn't be a hot mess, I guess, because the idea behind right. it is that it's something that you've worked on uh, exactly. Ideally, it would be good to maybe test it out on somebody whose judgment sure. you trust, who can give you constructive criticism, perhaps, and good, uh, honest feedback to help you better your performance of it. Yeah, it, it just, I mean, that's just another element of preparation that you can have, which you wouldn't be able to have at a cold read. I th- so you, you're able to, you, most of the time, you're able to choose your own monologue. Sometimes they'll give you like, you know, here's five monologues, pick one of them. But you can choose your own monologue. You can find something that's more suited to your type or the yeah. type of role that you're auditioning for. So you can get something that, okay, this is the role I want. This is what I can do in something that's similar to that. Yeah, I was just going to say that it, the monologue choice is not necessarily going to be appropriate for every audition you attend. It's probably going to be something you have to tailor to the particular audition. Yeah, I, I would think you could have kind of a few of them in your arsenal, you know, a, a comedic monologue, a dramatic monologue, a Shakespeare monologue, if you've got some that you can work with over time and just be able to kind of go back and refresh your memory and, and use those. If if you're someone that encounters that a lot, I, I personally, as a director, I pretty much never use them. As an actor, yeah. it's been pretty rare, but it exactly. does come up, in you know, even in community theater. In my case, it only came up really one, that one time, and it was the last audition, or second to last audition, I should say, that I attended. Right. In determining how to apply monologues, you have to have a lot of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. You have to, I think, understand what is your type as an actor, what kind of roles you're going after, yeah, and what would be appropriate for the situations. And kind of like what you were saying, having an arsenal or a collection of different monologues that you could apply for different situations that you would be interested in auditioning for, or that would suit your type can be useful for the presumably rare situations where they're actually called for. (laughs) Right. I I think for a time I did have a couple of Shakespeare monologues in my back pocket. I had a comedic and uh, dramatic, but again, you know, 
Shakespeare is rare enough in community theater. Yep. <laughs> then you're getting a Shakespeare that does require a monologue for the audition. And it just got to a point where I would have to start from square one again because I don't even remember which plays the monologues came from, let alone what they were. Yeah, I've never come to that level of preparation with monologues. I did yeah. work at the monologue that I had to do at that audition that I mentioned that I attended, and it was a case where the character I was ad- that I was auditioning for was on the verge of getting divorced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I took a little bit of a different spin with it. It was related. It was sort of a character that was really kind of needy in a funny way, but was also... I guess recently divorced and was kind of getting back out there, but you could kind of see maybe some of the things that led to him getting divorced. Okay. Um, I was sort of amused by the monologue that I found that I was able to work with it. It was probably a little bit different take on that than maybe what the character was calling for that I was auditioning for. It was sort of a tangent maybe in a way. Okay. Fair enough. A little bit of a, I chose to take a little bit of a twist on, the circumstances of the role I was actually auditioning for with the monologue. Right. I guess the bottom line is there's there's not necessarily any wrong answer. I guess there isn't, unless choosing. you don't get cast. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess you could argue that, 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 but I mean, that the monologue might not be the reason you don't get cast. <laughs> yeah, well, I so imagine there it's are other hard factors. To say. I, I would think if you are in a situation where a monologue is required, you could contact the director and go, hey, this is the monologue I'm thinking of. Do you think this would be appropriate? Should I choose something else? Do you have any suggestions of what to choose? I, I mean, it certainly couldn't hurt. I suppose not. I, yeah. I just have come across it so infrequently in community theater, at least, that right. it's really hard to recommend how to approach it. Yeah. If you've got any suggestions for us that we're not covering, of course, you can go to our website, podcast.backstage.link, and click on Contact the Show to send us a message or a voicemail or whatever. No, of course, you can't send a voicemail through the website. Well, no, but you can get the number from there. That is true, but I'll give you yes. the number. The go number for, for leaving a voicemail or a text message, I might add, is 267-225-8869. Again, that is 267-225-8869. So something that does come up pretty much every audition in community theater, monologues might not be there that often, but what you almost always have is a scene partner. Yeah, that if is... you're, <laughs> if the show doesn't have a monologue to begin with, then yeah. chances are they're not going to call you up individually to read roles. No, they're not. I have had some situations where you're reading with like a staff member or something like that, but even that in at least some sense is a scene partner. Yes, and I think that is relatively rare, at least in my own experience. I think it only happened with me once. Okay. I think (laughs) it is much more common that you will experience situations where groups of people will be called up to do a scene, whether it's two or three or more. Yeah, yeah. Random, different groups of people, and part of that is probably to see how the different actors pair off one another. But Right. As a director, you kind of call up different groups so you can see how one actor works with other actors and and vice versa and all of that and just kind of mix things up to give everybody a a chance to work with different people. But sometimes you might get stuck several times with the same person just because it's 
difficult to shuffle that around from a director standpoint. I know I work with charts and things like that. Hey, let's face it. It's largely random. Uh, Yeah, a lot of it certainly is. But I guess what I wanted to cover with this is when you are working with a scene partner, which again is going to be most of the time that you're auditioning, if at all possible during the audition process, you do want to prepare, you do want to talk to that scene partner and see if you can work with them, maybe read it a little bit off to the side before you go up and actually perform it. A lot of the times that's not possible. That has usually been my experience. You find out really on the fly who you're going to be reading with, and there's exactly. really literally no time to prepare. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they'll hand out the sides and give you a few minutes to go over them, in which case you might be able to go and talk to whoever you're reading with. You might not. It usually doesn't happen. I have tried as a director in the past to have all of the actors in a separate room so that if they choose to work with it together, they can. But as an actor, most of the time, it's my experience that everybody's in one room and Mm -hmm. there's really no way to go over something before you just get up and read it. As a director, I'm usually figuring out the pairings on the fly as I find out who is going to be there that night and who they're interested in reading for. So there's usually not a lot of prep time possible in those scenarios. That is absolutely true, which is why I've got like charts and things to try and give everybody a fair shot and I've try to mix up the pairings. Yes. <laughs> so they qu- they came quite useful. Yeah, they certainly can be. Um, it helps you keep track of who's reading with who and how many times they're reading and that sort of thing. But preparation aside, since it's often going to be put aside. You do, it's it's a fine line working with a scene partner because you want to, to be generous. You want to make sure that they get their shot, but at the same time, this is your audition and you can't give so much that you're hurting your own audition. Sure, they have to evaluate what you as an individual bring to the role that they've asked you to read. Right. And- but and I at the same time, at the same time, you still have to play off the other actor. You do. You don't want to necessarily make them look bad. Just focus on yourself. You have to, and they, mm-hmm. the directors will want to see how you play off of somebody. I would exactly. Think, so you kind of, you might find somebody that you click with, and and that's great if that happens. But you might find somebody that just, for you, is a bad scene partner. You might be reading with somebody who's never set foot on a stage before. That's entirely possible. So you kind of need different ways that you can handle a circumstance where you're just not working well with the partner that you've been saddled with. And there's a lot of different ways to approach that. You really just have to make the most of it. You can't, you don't want to make yourself look bad because you're trying to get a part, but you also don't want to make the other person or people you're reading with look bad either. Yeah. I mean, if they already are bad, you don't want to make them look that way. You don't, you you still want to have that generosity and do your best to make them look as good as possible. So you kind of need to, at the same time, remembering that it is your own audition, you have to act. You have to act like they're good. Basically you have to, react to what you're what you need not to what you're getting that makes any sense i think so you kind of make the most of 
and you can always be on two sides of the coin of this too. You could be mm. acting with somebody who you feel awestruck by. Uh, yeah. And you're just trying to keep up. It goes that, both ways. That can also happen. Yeah. I mean, you might you might be a perfectly skilled actor. You might be feeling you're great in the role that you're auditioning for. You might be really confident stepping into it. And then you get up there and whoever you're reading opposite is just nailing the role perfectly and has all sorts of energy and movement and all of that. And you're like, oh my God, I'm just blown away and I don't know what to do. So you have to understand that you might be, you might be the bad scene partner. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of need to treat, if you feel that your partner is the quote unquote bad one, you need to treat them like you would want to be treated in the same situation. You don't want to like be like, hey, you read that line wrong or or you know it's this or whatever. You you you'd want to ignore any mistakes and, and oh, yeah, move on yeah. and and just do your best. Right. I, I and I think that's a very valid point to make in that you do not want to this is my own opinion, you do not want to come off as the person who is going to convey the image of I'm better than these other people. Right. Because at the end of the day, the production is going to be about the chemistry of the actors working together to tell mm -hmm. the story. And if you convey the sense that you're that these the performances of other people are beneath you, then you're not going to be necessarily viewed as somebody who's going to be so much of a team player. And that might be a strike against you as far as casting considerations. Absolutely. I mean, you're, as a director, casting an entire cast. It's all, as we've talked about with casting before, it's all a big puzzle. And if you've got one puzzle piece that thinks it's bigger than everybody else, then it's not going to fit into the puzzle. Even if they're great. Yeah. Sometimes you have, to, you have to fit the puzzle instead of the single piece if they, I, again i'm yeah. kind of mixing my metaphors even if they're talented if they're them. going to be somebody potentially who's difficult to work with mm -hmm. then as a director i think the director would look at that as they have to weigh the merits of that somebody who fits their image of their vision of the role versus how easy they're going to be worked with because let's face it you're going to be in a normal production, you're going to be working three months with this group, and mm -hmm. they have to all get along. Exactly. And and along those lines, you kind of have to trust the director and the staff to, to know and to see if the problems are with you or with your scene partner. If you feel that you're outacting your partner and they're pulling you back and they're holding you back, you have to trust that the director and the staff is going to see that and is going to know that and be like, you know, this guy's good, but we're going to need to pair him with somebody else and see how he works with somebody else. Right. And along those same lines, if you do feel that's the case and they haven't asked you to read again, you can request, hey, can I get another reading of this section of this uh, side with potentially a different different scene partner? Are you saying an actor requesting that? I think yeah. I missed what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, as a director, I at least usually go, hey, is there anything else uh, you wanted to read that you didn't get a chance to do? And I have had people say, hey, can I read this scene again? And I, I almost always, if not always, would pair them with a different actor. That's, that seems fair. Yeah. 
So that said, I the the other thing I wanted to kind of throw in here was some bizarre or interesting stories that we've had from our own auditions. I guess one of the things I can discuss is the one time that I did kind of sort of require a monologue for a show that I was directing, and that was True West, just because I felt, and it's been a number of years since I directed that. What was that? 2005? Seven. That recent? I thought it was even longer ago than that. 2007. yep. Okay, so, I mean, even that is what, oh my God, that's 14 years ago. I did it in 2016. (laughs) That's insane that that's 14 years ago. So, that was a while ago. So, I forget which character it is because it was 14 years ago. Austin one or the, Lee, probably. Uh, well, yes. It was one of the two. Ha- had more of a uh, a storytelling bent to the character where he would tell these long stories. It was the one that... Uh, I think it's Lee. Okay. I think it's Lee. That, that's the story with the dentist. Yeah. With, the, with, his, with the father, with the losing the teeth and... I thought that I think was it's Lee. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. So, <laughs> so I, I think it was that exact story that I took and pulled out a couple of the lines and gave them like a full page monologue where mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I gave them whoever was auditioning for Austin or Lee. I gave them that page at the beginning of the audition. I said, look it over when you're downtime between when you're up stage, up on stage and reading. And at the end, I want you to just sit and just tell me that story. So that was as close as I came to requiring an audition when I directed. You mean a monologue? Excuse me. <laughs> yes, I've always required auditions. <laughs> Actually, not true. Not true. I've directed some one acts where I just cast without auditions. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. generally, yes, I meant monologue. Um, <laughs> now, I've, as I said, only been required to have monologues as an auditioner at uh, Shakespeare. But the one thing that came kind of close was... I had one show, I, I forget what even what show it even was, but they required you to go and just tell a personal story. Interesting. Which was very weird. And if I recall correctly, I went and sat up on stage and told the story about the time that a deer hit my car. <laughs> I was you too, complete, huh? Yeah, well, I was a complete standstill and the, door, the deer came and hit my car. It was more involved story than that, obviously. <laughs> I did not get a part in that one. <laughs> Nothing to do with deer or cars. No, no, absolutely nothing to do with that. I don't really know why they wanted us to do that, but that was the only story I could think of that was yeah. even somewhat interesting. <laughs> well, as I mentioned earlier, the I guess second to last audition that I had involved preparing a monologue. So, like I said, my the character I was targeting was on the verge of getting divorced, so I took a slightly different, maybe more comedic bent on that theme. Uh, but I, I think I tried to pick some elements that might fit the character, but it was a little bit of a different situation. Suffice to say, I didn't get the part at the time, so I, mm. I'm sure it didn't necessarily have to do with just the monologue, but who knows how much the, the monologue weighs into the grand scheme of things as far as casting right. decisions are made. Yeah. Especially... I mean, let's face it, with community theater, I think if there's enough people that have worked together or who are known entities that really the monologue might be somewhat weighed less in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it might be somewhat extraneous. I I, I do think that community theater actors, directors and whatnot tend to move in clumps and 
there's a lot of repeat casting and that sort of thing that goes on, but you know, that's just the nature of the beast. As a director, I would say that, and I've never required a monologue for any shows that I've directed, but I would think that it would be more useful to me to see somebody do a monologue if I've never seen, never seen them do anything before, or if I've never worked with them before. Probably yeah, more I mean, the I think the, these, the, this, the, the storytelling monologue that I put in True West was somewhat helpful just because it helped me see who could embody that and who could keep your attention telling a story. Sure. Well, that was very relevant to the show and the role itself versus yeah, something and I mean, entirely different. Exactly. And it's taken, it was taken directly from the script. So mm-hmm. in a way, it was just sides that were put together. Right. Yeah. I would think that that would... As a director, I would probably be more inclined to take that approach with monologues, where mm. it's still very relevant to the role and what somebody could bring to the role, but it's focused Agreed. more on just them by themselves and what they could, what they can do with something. Yeah, yeah. So, scene partners, personal experience there. I guess my one horror story, and I, I, I don't know if it's a horror story per se, but the one weird thing that happened to me in relation to scene partners. And I can't remember if I've discussed it on the show before or not, but I did have an audition for a show where the director decided that, you know, there's a kiss in the script and the director decided it would be a good idea to put that in the audition. That is really odd. It's very (laughs) odd. And the way this was scripted was that um, the actress was kissing the actor, and the actor was specifically supposed to not react. Okay. So it was pretty much out of my hands. So they were looking... I don't even know what they were looking for. I guess they were looking for some sort of chemistry, but, I mean, I couldn't do anything. I had... You reacted too much. Yeah, I I reacted too much or not enough. But I, I do recall that with that one, there was one actress who was just not comfortable with it and just hugged me instead. And... The woman who eventually got the role of the kisser was someone that I did audition with, and the kissy was cast as, was her husband got the role. Okay. So apparently the husband and wife had more chemistry than I had with her. So and yeah, I don't really yet, know what the point of that was. It was just a little odd. Given that it was supposed to be a situation where the kissy, as you put it, was not really supposed to react... Yeah, so I didn't really know how to handle that. Okay. I It was a weird choice, and I pretty much decided at that point that as a director, I would never require a kiss in an audition. As I recall, I did not, as a director, require a kiss, but I maybe unexpectedly got them at a callback <laughs> audition. Not, my, not me personally, but... <laughs> <laughs> amongst the people auditioning at the callback. Yeah, that's one way to get a role. <laughs> it was unexpected in that one of the actresses reading for the role decided to take the initiative and mm. go for the kiss. Now, was it in the script section that they were reading, or did they add one? No, it was in the script section, I believe. Okay. But I thought I had made it clear that it was not necessarily required within that mm. context of the callback. At least, this is my fuzzy recollection. This is 10 years ago, so uh-huh. I could be totally misremembering this right now. So, See, I feel like unless you're saying don't do it, if you're saying it's not required, somebody who's like, I really want this role might be inclined to 
to put it in there anyway. Well, I think that might have been the case, and yeah, I don't remember exactly what I said at the time. But so then it became yeah. okay. Well, one person did it, then the other felt the other person may have felt right compelled or obligated to yeah. follow suit, as it were. So hmm. the guy reading against them, of course, you know, he had it made that night. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> was it just the one guy? Yeah, I think that role was more or less settled. It was a matter of <laughs> figuring out who to cast with him or right to pair with him. I guess that's one way to find out if they have chemistry. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that pretty much wraps up this visit to auditioning, this revisit. Uh, if you've got any further comments, if you'd like to tell us your own stories about auditioning, we'd love to hear them. Or if you've got any episode ideas or anything like that, you can contact us by visiting our website, podcast.backstage.link, and clicking on Contact the Show. You can also leave us a voicemail or a text message if you call us at 267-225-8869. That's 267-225-8869. Don't be disappointed, though, if none of us personally answer your call. Yes, that's going to go directly to voicemail, but <laughs> hey, if you leave us a message, we might uh, feature it on a uh, on a future show. A future but we episode. haven't yet. Well, we haven't gotten a whole lot of messages, so, <laughs> so I'm call just saying, us. Damn it. Either your chances are really good or they're not very good, historically I'd speaking. say they're pretty good. I'd say they're pretty good unless you're, like, you know, leaving a message going, we hate you guys. <laughs> Double cheeseburger, onion rings, and a large orange drink. Yeah, who knows? We might even put that in there. We need to kill time, people. <laughs> That's so if you Dr. have Dr. Demento uh, routine, anybody's curious. If you have enjoyed this episode or Jim's Dr. Demento impression, <laughs> please subscribe. If you haven't already, leave us a review. Tell a friend. That's how the word gets spread, folks. Yeah. <laughs> like not germs, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah, we hope not. Spread less. Spread us like the coronavirus. No. Oh God. That's, too that's soon. <laughs> yeah, definitely too soon. <laughs> Next week on the backstage show, there won't be anything. Uh, we'll be back eventually. Who knows when? Who knows with what? But we will be back because we still have a few more of these left. If you Maybe give us a bunch start... of good ideas or beg us, we might continue in on past 100. But that's our goal right now. Maybe we should start a betting poll as far as when the next episode will air. Yeah. <laughs> well, we should leave us because a... we have a direct way to influence the outcome, but other people th- th- can. This is true. If you leave us a long enough voicemail, we might uh, just... Have you do an entire episode, 267-225-8869. Leave us a half-hour voicemail, and you can be the next episode. Is there a time limit on the voicemail? I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> and until then... Coming up next, the voicemail episode. <laughs> until the voicemail episode, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And thank you for joining us backstage. So long. Auf Wiedersehen. Sayonara. Hasta la vista. Adios. Jim, stop recording. Bye. See, now you can just line up this. <laughs> Skype currently in use. What a coincidence. To... Uh, see, now we're not at an even point. I feel like we should just babble until around five minutes. It's a live stream podcast. Can you do that? Well, at least I've contributed something to society. Welcome to the backstage show.
sticking this with is... the same drink. I mixed myself another one. So a daiquiri is um, an ounce of lime juice, mm -hmm. two ounces of light rum, and a half an ounce of simple syrup. Everybody getting this, by the way? Outtakes, probably, so, I hope. And it's very, very tart. This might be our next podcast. <laughs> Drink recipes? Mixed drinks gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you want to intro this one or, All right, or shall I? I will do that. Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a moment. Crap. <laughs> Here we go again. You're not helping. That's right. What is that character Sorry. from uh, Buck Rogers? The bitty, robot? Bitty, bitty. Twiggy. Yeah, that's right. Bitty, bitty. <laughs> that was uh, Mel Blanc. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. <laughs> nice. And Buck Rogers was Gil... Gerard. Gil Gerard, yes. Yep. We're talking about I the that show. for those who have no idea what we mean. We're talking about the television show from the was it 1970s, late 1970s. Or, or is this supposed to go in the uh, outtakes now? Sure, because <laughs> otherwise there's nobody listening. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. We're not radio, us... <laughs> we're not radio DJs or anything. <laughs> yeah, this all goes out live. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <laughs>